What's up, fight fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the station where we bring you the latest in mixed martial arts. I'm Gabriel. I'm here with my co-host, Kayla Beatty. Fight fans, this week's episode brought to you by Cageside Press. Remember, for the latest news in the world of the UFC, Bellator, Invicta, and the MMA community in general, check out cagesidepress.com. Fans, it is July 18th, 2018, and this week's episode, The Price is Right, and he definitely was the top story. Of course, we had both a UFC and two Bellator cards to recap, so let's get it started with the action from Boise, Idaho, the heavyweight collision between Junior Dos Santos and Blagoy Ivanov, Kayla Beatty. I was surprised that this one went five rounds, but I'm very glad it did when it was all over. What did you think of the fight? Yeah, I really enjoyed it, too. It was one of my favorite fights of the night. Um, it was just, um, I, you know, I'm really a big fan of Blagoy. I think that even though he needs to work on his conditioning, um, I could see why they gave him, you know, a debut main event fight. I think he has power in his hands. Um, I loved how he and his team down to the last round said, we need that finish. And they looked very confident that he's capable of going in there and just knocking him out in the fifth round and taking this fight. Um, yeah, it, I was, it was just very entertaining. It was very nice to see Junior Dos Santos go in there. I think that he played the fight a little safer, but I'm not mad at it. He was coming back after some time off coming back you know um after a loss so so he played the the fight um intelligently you know using um his range and 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 not going in there and making it a bloodbath if he didn't have to i think both guys still traded some heavy shots but he just played the fight more smart yeah for myself um i had said before the fight last week that i feel like blagoy the way i described him was the bulgarian mark hunt and you saw a lot of the same things he was very durable took some big shots from junior and kept coming and always had that threat of those big punches he would come with some urgency they just didn't come consistent enough i think for dos santos i think what really stood out to me was the footwork and speed was there but it was the variation. He would go with the shots to the body, to the head, mixing it up, and then he would wait for his moments before he would rip with that right hand, go for the big shot. I think that was key. Blagoy just didn't have an answer for it stylistically. I think that he ate a lot of shots sometimes coming in. There would be times where he would be afraid because Junior was getting moving and he just couldn't catch up to him. I think all of that was key. But for five rounds, like you said, I think Junior played it a little safer. I think he understood how dangerous Blagoy And Blagoy did connect on a few good punches. So you have to be careful, especially for a guy who, like you said, was going in there with a sense of urgency. So, yeah, it was a little different. I thought someone would go to sleep in that one the way they were throwing. But, you know, this is how it goes sometimes. I think we saw a very technical performance from Junior, and that's what got the job done in the end. Kayla, um, has anything big happened in the heavyweight division lately? Anything big? Um, yeah, I think two weeks ago we had someone become a double champ and take that belt. 
Really? Man, I must have missed that one. <laughs> no, but um, look, let's talk about it. Junior, top five heavyweight, back, former title challenger. He mentioned Stipe Miocic as a trilogy, and I got to say, I think that one really stands out to me. I think that um, I don't see them put, giving him a Alexander Volkov or Curtis Blades. So we've talked about this, and I'm going to say it. I think that Daniel Cormier, I really agree with you from last week. I don't think Daniel is going to fight anybody else besides Brock Lesnar. I think he's been through a lot in his career, and he's just going to look to call it a night with that one. But the fact is, you do need a new heavyweight contender. I think that they're going to make Alex and Curtis for a title down the line. And in that way, I think that you're more setting up Junior to more work his way up. So... I don't think they're going to match him up with Alex or Curtis. I think they're they're going to give him maybe a Miasic, maybe an Alistair Overeem, someone else around that line. And I think that's just what we're going to see. What about you? So you're not for Stipe getting an immediate rematch like he's trying to fight for. That is a whole nother issue. <laughs> but I will say this. No. And he is very aware of why. It's just business. It's not that he doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, yeah, as far as JDS, um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him because, you know, the talent's still there. Un- unfortunate circumstances kind of had him sitting out longer than he wanted to. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think that they'll probably make a fight. And and I actually think that's the better fight for him because I think I don't see Stipe or Brock staying in that division long so I would think that one of these guys is going to be the you know champion again soon and and if you have a fight with the former champion Stipe lined up for you that means you're going to be real close to either that next title shot yourself um, or maybe an interim belt who knows yeah and I think um, put it this way Stipe is really just dead set on you know I want my title shot next or something. I suggest he kind of takes the Yanni on Jacek route. If he's really set on it, I'd say call out Curtis Blades. Make that fight happen. Make the Volkov fight happen. Because if your plan was to just sweep the division and call it a career, well, those are the two guys who would have been next for you had you beaten DC. So I think more focus on that if you're really set on it and don't want the rematch with Junior. But the Brock Lesnar fight is just too much money. And we mentioned this last week, just the UFC isn't in a position to let that fight go with the way pay-per-view sales have gone in recent months. So look, I love Stipe. I think he's great. I think that he really has a great point that were Brock Lesnar not around, you could probably negotiate a rematch and it would work. Um, It would be just expedited we're not in that position right now. So I get why he's frustrated, but I just don't think that option is there. And, you know, going back to junior Dos Santos, he's a guy who's fought pretty much everybody in his UFC career in that top five. It's kind of hard to get him a new matchup. So if you're not going to burn one of these up and comers, it's going to most likely be a familiar enemy for junior in his next outing. So it's going to be very interesting, but look, matchmaking, the calendar, all of that is going to, play a key part in the next few months um i actually will say this before we move on 
I don't think they're going to solve the issue soon. I think that it's going to happen um, after a while. They're going to want to wait and see what's up with Brock Lesnar. Like, is he even clean for three months before they catch him with something? So I think that's going to be a key component of t- exactly what happens next with everybody. Kayla, there were a lot of fun finishes. Sage Northcutt came back to action. Great one. Chad Mendes. Yeah, Chad Mendes. Nice finish. Yeah, big moves. A lot of players. Your teammate Liz Carmooch had a great win over Jennifer Maya. A lot of great stuff. But, Kayla, the price is right, wouldn't you say? (laughs) Yeah, it definitely was that night in Boise. Um yeah, what a crazy finish. I think that there, there was that performance, and who else did I want to give a quick mention to? Um, oh, the name is escaping me of, of which fight it was. But I think there was just some innovative uh, fighters that evening. Uh, the guy that I'm trying to – let me look at the card. Um, Barcelos? No. He had an interesting just kind of – I think they were calling it like a bobblehead kind of um, – technique going on um when he was on on his feet i'll find that fight in a second but yeah mentioning nico price i mean this is what i love about the sport you're still gonna get these young you know hungry uh excited fighters for that finish and they'll get it any way they can even if they have to do something more on the original side and and get a knockout from hammer fist from the ground I mean, it, the thing to me, I'm not going to lie, it's one of those, it's kind of like the Anderson Silva front kick to the face. I'm kind of surprised nobody has kind of been able to pull that off in all of the fights that go to the ground and end up in that position. I feel like that's something that like, well, if you're really going for it, you swing at him from the bottom position. I feel like it's something that a lot of guys should be capable of, but for some reason it never happens. So I was very impressed with, or very surprised about that for the Nico Price finish. But um, yeah, you're not gonna see that one every day. Um, I love the Honey Bartelos knockout. That one was like out of a video game. Um, I really like that one. And yeah, you know, pacing. It's always difficult because there's always so much time in between fight Fox Sports One fight nights, but you know, after the fact, playing through it, there were a lot of fun ones. So I really enjoyed it. Did you figure out which fight it was? Um, it might have been. It might have been Miles Jury. No, I don't. I don't know. It might have been some on the prelim. But I just remember, you know, I love listening to the commentary. And it's funny when you're thinking something in your head like, oh, that's an interesting technique. And then they actually comment, commentate on it. Um since we'll be talking about Bellator too, there was a comment Shale Sonnen made that, you know, it, it's just, it's funny when you're, you're thinking exactly what they, what they end up saying. And uh, a lot of these guys just, yeah, um, we're trying new stuff and I wasn't mad at it. All right. All right. All right. I'm with it. But um, yeah, you know, just a lot of good stuff. Let's move on to Bellator, shall we? Um, So obviously two of them, I was a little, I'm not going to lie, Kayla, and this is my fault. I really was under the assumption that they were setting up for next week in um, Italy. I did not realize they were doing a back-to-back, and that threw me off because this fight is another big one on Saturday, but let's start with Friday. 
Julia Budd versus Talita Noguera for the featherweight championship for the ladies. Kayla, from what I've seen at Talita, she is a very big featherweight, very powerful, very crafty on the ground. But Julia Budd, just so impressive in shutting her down for three rounds, just she overcame a, a slow start and then really just not afraid to go to the mat and dominate there just with her top control and pressure with ground and pound. Just a very solid performance from the featherweight champion. What did you think of the fight? Yeah, it was a dominant performance. I think that Talita had mentioned that she was wanting to take the fight to the ground, and that first big takedown that Julia got really just answered back to that, saying, all right, I could take this fight anywhere. I'm the champ, and and then, you know, from, from then on, yeah, it was just a very dominant performance, a very um, experienced champion in Julia Budd, who's been around for a long time, knowing how to keep the pressure on and, and get that win. Um, and Toledo was tough, though. I mean, she definitely, you know, wasn't easy to finish either. Um, but, yeah, I think what's exciting for – or makes me excited, and, again, this was um, – something and now of course it's escaping my mind hopefully it'll come back to me but Chael Sonnen had mentioned uh you know when I was thinking this Julia Budge she's been around for so long and I love that the commentators were mentioning all of her past opponents and wins that she's that she's gotten she's faced you know some of the top ladies in 135 and 145 and you know continues to look great and give these uh performances like she did and so what has me excited, and I know we're going to talk about this in a little bit, is there is another champion uh, in the featherweight division that is hinting that she might finish out her contract and go elsewhere. And I think seeing these two ladies go after it would be um, a pretty exciting super fight. If it was. <laughs> no, I I, I completely agree with you. Um, we're going to, br- yeah, we'll bring that up later, but um, we all know who it is, um, you know, from the UFC. Uh, talking about Julia Budd, um, I always go back to this interview I did with Marlus Kunin, who has fought both Cyborg and Julia. And she let me know, like, look, yeah, Chris Cyborg is who she is, but Julia Budd hits so hard. She is so powerful. She really just emphasize that to me that she doesn't think people realize just how strong Julia Budd is because most people think it's Cyborg and everybody else. You really saw that. She hit Talita with some shots that really kind of made that house crumble. And Talita, you could tell, came in very hungry, very just tenacious. She wasn't going away. She really had to... It it was a just systematic breakdown she didn't just go away after she got cracked with one good shot and this is why julia budd is kind of up there and i get why she flies under the radar she had those losses to ronda and amanda nunez before either of them was a big deal and people are kind of like oh well you know you're just one of those bunch that we don't remember from back in the day And no, she's really developed. Clearly, she's put on some size and muscle, which is why she's fighting at featherweight and just a very solid featherweight at that. And then when you count wins like Jermaine Durandamy and others, I think that really just shows this very complete mixed martial artist. Um, She's not very outspoken. 
she is in Bellator at a time when they're still trying to develop it. They are doing better than the UFC, but still, it's not the most glamour division. So I think it's hard for her to maybe get all of the respect and just adoration she deserves. But she's another woman who's been putting in work. And I think that's, you know, it's just very impressive. And I think when you're talking about who's next after Cyborg, you really have to point at Julia Budd being the woman who's going to be the man, you know, so to speak, if you get that analogy. So I was very impressed. Um, Kayla, she mentioned Sinead Kavanaugh. Uh, she even mentioned it's not about competition. It's just more that's kind of the only one there. But I did do my research. Miss Kavanaugh fights out of SBG Ireland. And do you remember when Bellator um, had that incident where Conor McGregor jumped in the cage? I do. One of, one of his first crazy outbursts. I'm going to just say it like it is because we're going to talk about it in a minute with Saturday's fight. But I feel like some people are starting to just kind of try to get the Conor McGregor effect inadvertently. I think they're hoping by fighting his teammates that they can entice him to show up and do something crazy, which in turn brings them attention. Because there are a few of them, let's be honest, those opponents out of that gym, they're not big names. So when you're mentioning them, I feel like you're trying to play a bit of checkers and trying to get the notorious to come out to your fight. So I can't help but wonder if that might I don't be know if, I playing don't know a factor if it's just in why targeted named... just towards him. I think that they've been really open, too, just about the support of Ireland and how a lot of fighters say that they're some of the best fans in the world. So I think it's also just knowing that, hey, you have an Irish fighter on a card. We're going to get a lot of buys, views, people in attendance. Okay, I will say this. Let's wait and see because uh, you're going to have guys like James Gallagher coming up. Let's really look at the numbers. How does it look? And I think that might be a big indicator. Like, how do they, how do they come out when it's not a big fight? I think that's going to be the key. Um, moving on to the co-main event. Kayla, I had my eyes on this one all week. We talked about him. Michael McDonald, Bantamweight contender. And he takes out Eduardo Dantas. The right hand that drops him was the first punch he threw. So impressive. Does quick damage. Eduardo, I, I want to point this out. They talked about the ankle. I feel like it's important to note. Eduardo rolled his ankle after he got knocked down. So it wasn't a cause and effect why he stayed there. McDonald did do the damage early. Then, of course, just that swarm of left hands that got him out of there. Very impressive stoppage in just about a minute. But Kayla, well, first off, before we talk about the interviews and the post-fight, what did you think of just his performance? Yeah, I think it was great. I loved that we got to read your interview leading up to the fight, too, and just to get to know him a little bit more. So when he got that knockout in, in the fashion that he did, um, you know, and then just seeing his celebration after, I felt a little bit more connected to him, just kind of knowing his backstory and why he's fighting. I just think it's so unfortunate that both of them, it was such a quick fight, and both of them got seriously injured. Um, the sport is brutal. Oh, my God. Isn't that the truth, though? I mean, in one minute, and they both have a broken ankle and hand between them. It's 
that's rough. Um, Kayla, he mentioned that left hand. Here's what I've been hearing. Um, one of my coworkers was on hand in Oklahoma for the scrum. And he was saying things like, I feel like my life is flashing before my eyes, fighting. Then I have to go get surgery. Then I have to do rehab and physical therapy on it. And he he was just open about the fact that he doesn't know if he can keep doing this. And what, I'm going to just say it like it is. You read my interview with him. I feel like he's already a guy who has who feels a certain way that's not always positive about MMA to begin with. So you tell me just what are your thoughts on just what he's been saying and how he might be feeling? Yeah, I mean, I felt like after reading your interview, it definitely seems like he, he doesn't seem like he's a fan of the sport as a whole. I think he just happens to maybe like training, like what he personally gains from fighting. And he's obviously good at it. Um, but yeah, I think that he's also someone that with the stuff he's, um, you know, encountered in life, it sounds like he's also someone that reads into signs. And if, you know, he feels like the universe or whoever is telling him, Hey, you just got this big win, but you got injured. Maybe he feels like, you know, I'm not going to fight so hard for this. If, if things like this are happening where it's kind of just, backfiring him and stopping him from progressing his career but yeah I mean the fact that he's saying like when he's not fighting or not training for a fight he completely checks out he has you know the other stuff he does with the woodworking and his business it doesn't sound like he is super invested to where he needs MMA in his life it's more just the extra cherry on top yeah, and, and like you said, he is so good. And you would think that this is a guy that you would really be excited about to have on your roster. Um, but then I wonder how guys like Scott Coker feel if Michael McDonald is having these thoughts. You, you know, I'll say it like it is. You don't want to make somebody do something they don't want to do. If he doesn't want to be champion and have that extra attention, I'd, I wouldn't want to put him in it. I'd rather he just fight and do his thing if that's what it is. But the fact is, he is so good. He has now, you know, recorded this victory. Um, I think you put it very well. I feel like it's just extracurricular to him, which is very tough to say when you think about who this kid was. He was the youngest guy on the UFC roster at 20 years old. The youngest, younger than John Jones when he first fought for a title at like 22, maybe just 23 years old. This was a kid who was supposed to be at the top for a while. And I remember watching his old interviews. And I even rewatched them before this fight. He was so happy and celebrating and all about it. And I feel like, you know, he's gone through some stuff that has made him a different person. And that's very unfortunate because I do remember seeing him as a younger guy. I love his message. I love his approach to how he just handles media and what he wants to talk about. It's really tough to see it that way because I do feel like he's just a very nice guy who has a lot of great talent and it's fun to watch. And to see him struggling with that, it's very difficult. And um, look, let me ask you. He is the top contender right there. I put him ahead of James Gallagher. I know that people are very high on Gallagher, more Bellator fights, and 
you know, uh, the Irish fans and all that. I think McDonald is a bigger name, and I think he's also now recorded a bigger victory over a better opponent. How do you feel about McDonald even being in a title shot, though? How do I feel about him getting a title shot next? I mean, uh, put it this way, just on a personal level, knowing how he feels about possibly being a champion, what do you think about him just being in a title fight? I mean, I'm not really a fan for it unless it sounds like he is invested in the sport and wants to continue. But if you get that win and then are talking about retirement, I don't think I'm a little sick of people fighting for titles just to get one and done and then, you know, be finished with their career, or try to move on to other stuff. I think too many people with talent that want to be active fighters are sitting around. So I'm not a fan of it unless he thinks that this is something he wants to at least give another couple of years. I agree. Um, I, I will say, let me ask you this other question though. Um, does it, is he the next guy in line on paper technically? Um, I'd have to look more into the division. I mean, I don't know because didn't he have a little bit of a long layoff leading up to this fight? Um, he fought like last before, but he's been healthier now. He fought last November, so stretching it, but not the worst one. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look more into who else is on their roster. Yeah, um, look, he beat former champion. Um, the only other guy making noise is Gallagher, who I, I, I just don't put him up there quite as much. So I feel like Michael is the guy. I think it just makes sense. But obviously, it's how does he feel about it? And that's something you don't – that's a conversation we don't have a lot about fighters. But it is one in this case that I think you really have to address if you're not just, you know – Michael, but if you're Bellator, too. Yeah. Kayla, moving on to Saturday night, Bellator 203, Patricio Pitbull. How do you say it? Freire? Is that what it is? Against Daniel <laughs> Weichel. I'll, I'm very glad they have a nickname like Pitbull because I, I I butcher that name every time. It just it doesn't roll off my tongue no matter how hard I try it. But five rounds in Italy... Split decision. Um, before anything, Kayla, did you score it for Pitbull? Um, I actually wasn't able to find this full fight, unfortunately. Um, so I didn't get to see the whole thing, but I was able to read up on it and see highlights. So as far as scoring, I can't really say. But collectively of what I read about it, I think that the majority of people felt like Pitbull had either maybe more significant strikes or maybe a, a higher activity of strikes. What did you think, G? Okay. Let me tell you a story. Um, you know, that's my favorite way to start these segments. <laughs> uh, look, it was alternating rounds, in my opinion. Um, I'll say this. Rounds two through five were very clear, but Pitbull round two, clearly. Round three, Weichel. Clearly. Round four, Pitbull. Clearly. Round five, Weichel. Clearly. So the scores, when I got done with them, I'll just say this very bluntly. There is no, on one of the scorecards, it was like, let me read it, 49, 46. Yeah. Um, that judge, I don't know what they were watching, but Pitbull did not win four rounds. <laughs> really. I, I just, that one was a bad card, in my opinion. 
Um, another one gave, you know, the other one scored it the way I did, 48-47 for Weichel. The other one gave three rounds to two for Pitbull. In my opinion, it came down to this first round, Kayla. It was another example of volume for Daniel, but counters were more accurate for Pitbull. I gave it to Weichel. It was close, but I gave it to Weichel because Pitbull's counters did not come frequently enough, and they didn't do enough damage, in my opinion, to make up the deficit. So when it was over, I actually had Daniel Weichel. Like I said, it was close. People tried to rally, but I just felt like, you know, it wasn't like some rounds are closer, but I still feel like Weichel just did enough to get the job done. Round five, Pitbull was just very tired, so I gave it to him, um, to Weichel also. Uh, Pitbull really just, activity was just done. He was just looking to avoid damage at that point. So I was surprised, but look, I mean, once again, don't leave it in the hands of the judges. Pitbull did have some good moments in there, so maybe that just... I don't know, but uh, I, I did have it for Weichel, I will say that. Do you feel like he actually took it from the champion, though? We know that with these title fights, some judges want to see you actually take the belt from the champ. If it's close, they'll give it. They'll be in favor of the champ more. Yes, and I will say this because round one was slow. Round five, Weichel is the one pushing all the action. Pitbull is just kind of in there just trying not to get caught with punches. He's not even really looking to engage. I feel like in the first round, okay, that's something. But in the fifth round, Weichel was the one going for it. And I felt like, you know, Pitbull, you kind of need to do something to, you know, to get in, to stay in this thing. You're, you're about to lose it. So I will say that, but, you know. Look, there weren't any big shots for Weichel. There was no knockdown. It was really more the accumulation of shots in every round that was doing the work and some takedowns and ground control. Um, look, fact is, Pitbull lives to fight another day and he retains the featherweight championship. Kayla, uh, so let's talk about this once again. I mean, they're calling out SBG Ireland. There's talking about a lot of stuff. What do you think is the situation now for him? Yeah, I was going to say there's um, a better storyline when the champ stays the champ. Um, yeah, I think that Bella, I mean, it'd be smart for Bellator to, to keep promoting this team versus team um, fight card. I think that they have some interesting ideas for more fight nights that they're trying to do overseas. And this is definitely a good storyline building. There's definitely two teams here um, with enough talent to build a card on that. So why not? Uh, I agree with you partially. I think if they're going to create some heat, yes, but I will say this respectfully the same way I'll say it. So we, we both know AJ McKee, mm -hmm. nice kid, young guy, great fighter. He's got this thing with James Gallagher. And I get it. They've been calling it out and all that. Unless Bellator is honestly not giving him a bigger fight. AJ McKee, you can afford to fight a bigger fish in the lake. I think you've earned it. I think he is far and ahead of James Gallagher. And I would say the same thing about Pitbull. I know they're trying to create heat and make stuff and... I think it, the most telling thing for me was with um, his post fight. He didn't mention any featherweights really as an opponent, 
but he kept mentioning Conor McGregor. And I think that is a lot of awareness. Of, I mean, look what Conor did for Artem Lobov. Heck, Artem Lobov was in the box with McGregor at the World Cup over the weekend. So I think people feel like maybe you can develop this attention. I agree with you. The Irish fans are great. They come out in numbers. I feel like the team versus team, unless you could get some serious heat between two guys, not just the big, like, umbrella idea, I don't think it creates as much tension as you're hoping it will. Um, that being said, he did mention Emmanuel Sanchez. Emmanuel is on a four-fight win streak. He's fought a lot of the other title contenders. Also, he's never fought Pitbull. An important thing to note is that besides AJ McKee and Sanchez, Pitbull has fought pretty much the other guys who are top-ranked multiple times. Yeah, He has fought um, Weichel twice now. He has fought Daniel Strauss four times. You're kind of getting bored with this, I think, if you're a Pitbull or even just a fan of Bellator and watching that division. So I think you're ready for new blood. If not Sanchez, I think AJ McKee. Um, if not now, when? I understand if you want to give him one more guy who's really got a ton of fights, but I think those two guys are just kind of hard to deny right now for a title shot. What about you? Yeah, and I, I agree. I think that unless you can build a storyline behind that, I think um, there's a lot of hardcore fans that feel like Sanchez is that next fight. And last I talked to Team Body Shop, from what I hear, Bellator is kind of putting the James Gallagher, AJ McKee thing on ice more because they do. They, they want to give AJ that title shot very soon. And for what, from what I hear, um, you know, his team is, is more for taking one more big name fight or that title shot and kind of picking that into over a super fight because to them, obviously getting that title shot is more important than just, um, you know, if he gets the title, if he wins the title or even fights for the title, I think that that fight with James Gallagher can still be sold and is still there just the way that they've built up their beef. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's very telling that Gallagher, um, is moving down to one yeah he's moving down to 135 rather than you know like look there's not a ton of people you know pushing for like a lot of fights at 145 but one they still are thinking about is AJ I think that says a lot that he feels like he, there's more to gain there um I think that's just a great business move I think if you're AJ you try to challenge a Pat Curran a Weichel a Daniel Strauss I think those just make sense and Emmanuel Sanchez, I think, though, is next for Pitbull. The body of work is just there. Um, and I think the calendar would work if you're talking about AJ McKee fighting for a title in 2019. I think that just makes sense. So there's a lot to think about. And then also, remember, Pitbull is this Pitbull. He's not even afraid to go up to 155 either. There's uh, really and something to be said about that there later on. But Kayla, we also have a lot of MMA news. It was a very busy weekend in MMA. This one came out, and Kayla, I felt some sort of way about it. Chris Cyborg says the Amanda Nunes fight could be the last in the UFC. So last week it was reported UFC is targeting the champion versus champion fight for New Year's Eve between Amanda and Chris. Cyborg does want to fight sooner, 
to stay active. She doesn't like that she's going to be out roughly 10 months between fights. But Amanda Nunes saying a foot injury is what's keeping her from taking a fight with Cyborg sooner. Cyborg went to MMA Junkie. She's frustrated. And I think she has a right to be. She mentioned the ultimate fighter. Not a lot of featherweights. You got a lot of women who can also fight 135. Um, Kayla just... She mentioned the fight with Amanda could well be the last fight for her in the UFC. How do you even take that kind of news? Yeah, um, I have a friend, or we have a friend, Stephen from KOR to Sports, that met up with her and and spoke more with her about it too. And it just sounds like, yeah, she's she's checked out a little bit. I think that she stuck around, um, really put in efforts in the last year, especially with the UFC to play the game as champ, be as active as she wants, fans wants, they want. She's, you know, went and fought these fights against uh, people like Holly, even though she continues to say there's plenty of true 145ers that they could be signing up. She seemed like she was down to, um, you know, fight uh, Megan Anderson. Like, she's just been game for a while, and I think the reason why is because she feels like if she played their game that they would really fill up her division and and bring her competition. And, you know, she's someone that really cares about building women's MMA, but especially building the, the heavier weight classes too. So I think that, yeah, at this point, if she feels like she's been putting in the work to try and build this uh, division and it's not happening, then she's going to kind of focus on, on, other areas of whether she can do that with other promotions or she's shown interest in boxing. So we know that maybe she wants to challenge herself there because why, why stick around in a division if you're not willing to fill it up with true 145 or she signs a new contract and then continues to, to not fight people that are in her true weight class and not really have, you know, competition maybe. And, and it's, it is pretty wild that um, when you look at the tough, 28 roster how most news outlets have pointed out a lot of these ladies really do fight at 135 they've um you know fought for other promotions belts at 135 so even though they can fight at 145 when they get signed by the ufc are they going to be you know stuck in that division or are we going to see a lot of these ladies go and face cyborg once and say yeah right i'm going down back down to 135 so I, I, I understand her frustration. I think that um, I, as well as other fans, are frustrated too. Yeah, I, I'm just so disappointed because I feel like this... Uh, Kayla, we were talking about this a year ago. There's They just didn't ever sign any featherweights. And, you know, when I look at the top roster, um, respectfully, I think it's like a lot of Tanya Evangers and Yana Kunitskaya's. Mm-hmm. Like you just said, yeah, they can make 145, but if you're planning on closing the division, oh, well, guys, sorry, but you can make 135, you could join Bantamweight. If you're Chris Cyborg, you're so frustrated. And um, I, I brought this up a year ago. Like, she was talking about how much time is on her contract, and I was like, at this rate, She's just going to be taking 135ers moving up and then it expires and the UFC, I think, could close it down. Um, I will mention, I think the Megan Anderson fight, uh, let's be honest, looking at it now, they wanted Megan to beat Holly 
they that's why they signed her. They felt like it could be it. Holly had other plans. That's how this game goes. That's fine. But Kayla, when I look at it, I'm going to just say this bluntly. I don't even think that the 145 weight class is still going to be here this time next year. I think that, um, and I get it. It's not a very loaded weight class. Natural 145ers are not just running around in every gym. It is very hard to stack a division. I know that there is talent out there. Is there Cyborg or Julia Budd level talent, you know, everywhere? No. That There's a reason those women are special. But the fact is, they've had a lot of time to scout it. And I think they're just admitting that either they don't think it's out there or they just aren't invested in it to bring it in and give, let's say, a dozen or so women UFC contracts. I think that's another part of it is that are you not signing this w- these women because you don't want to be obligated to have to keep paying them for a division that you don't think will stick around past Cyborg? So that's frustrating. And um, I don't know what to really say. I understand why she's mad. I would be feeling like leaving too because, like you said, she did do her thing. She waited. She took fights. She made it clear that she was ready for somebody else. The UFC just didn't bring it to her. So, yeah. Um, I Look, I will acknowledge Cyborg has been dominating the game for a decade. Is there the factor that they don't think that they have a star after her and that she's already, respectfully, closer to the end than the beginning? Maybe that's a factor, but... I feel like this always says a lot about their long-term plans, so that really stands out to me. Um, but yeah, just I'm disappointed because I know how great Cyborg is and how much she was pushing. She really did do the company right. Uh, I got a little pumped up, but let me ask you, the Amanda Nunes fight, and Cyborg mentioned this, an interim title at 135, possibly Ketlin and Holly Holm. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I mean, I like that she's brought that up, too, that she's been very vocal about, you know, if Amanda still needs more time, that's fine. But don't let your belt sit around for too long because and I I do love how she said, you know, that's like someone knocking on my door saying, hey, I want to kick your ass. But wait, give me a year to prepare for it. Just don't call someone out. Don't, you know, continue to try to sell this fight if you're not ready because she is ready and and she's taking, you know, being a champion very serious of continuing. Like to me, that's that's a, a real champion. She's just always staying ready, always training and and ready to pick up a fight. So um, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not a huge fan of the interim belts. I think that if they can book Amanda and Cyborg by the end of this year, I guess I'm okay with it sitting around a little bit longer. But yeah, there's talent in Ketlin. And this is, you know, similar to what we were talking about earlier. I hate to see fighters benched in their prime. It's It sucks just because of politics or, you know, I guess figuring out what they're going to do with certain divisions, whatnot. It, it's just always unfortunate when that talent's just sitting around. Yeah, I agree. Um, I would argue that unless they're really trying to make like, to try to create a co-main event for a pay-per-view, I'd argue that you don't even need to make it for an interim title. Yeah, just make it. You could have, 
Yeah, you could have Ketlin versus Holly five round main event in Sao Paulo coming up. Mm-hmm. You could maybe headline a fight night in America. Um, however, way you want to sell it, you don't need it. I would like them to fight because I feel like that would create that contender for Amanda that maybe gets some more attention. But then, of course, there's business. Do they feel like they don't want to risk a big name like Holly losing? Ketlin's been putting in work, but we know she's not the star. She doesn't have the star power of Holly, let's say, like it is. So is that a business move they're making? But Um, getting a win over Holly would absolutely, you know, skyrocket her. And Holly, after her last win, mentioned she has plans of, of fighting at 135 and 145. So if that's true you know, the legit contender is Ketlin. So you're going to fight her eventually. Why not now while you're waiting for the champ to have her super fight and then come back and fight that number one contender for the belt? I think that's it goes down to like the same thing as uh, Daniel Cormier, Brock Lesnar. Like, yeah, I agree with you. Um, She wants it and I, I, I would love to see it. But is it worth, you know, like risking a title shot, you know, like, if you know that you might get that payday right away if you just wait a little longer, I think that's going to be the question. But um, I, I agree. If you're really serious about it, you're going to have to fight Ketlin eventually. So um, I have a question for you, G. I mean, I think that maybe this is something that people don't talk about as much either. But, yeah, we look at MMA, you know, some people look at MMA as an individual sport. But where the team factor really comes in, and I think especially with these developing divisions, is sometimes even though you see that there's a chance to wait around for a title shot, maybe you gotta, you know, take that bullet and fight kind of similar to like a Frankie Edgar stepping up and saying, no, you know, even though I could wait around for a title shot, I'll take that Brian Ortega fight just because it's what's good for the division. It's what's continuing to sell the division and have people, you know, continue to check in. There may be a a little bit of a reason of why people aren't, tuning into Amanda Nunes as much because they think, okay, well, her division isn't really stacked. Maybe if we continue to get these fights, like I feel like a Holly versus Ketlin would give us a crazy, exciting fight that might, you know, get people excited about the division again and get people excited about Amanda coming back down and fighting one of these girls. Um, I think sometimes in that aspect, it does need to be looked at as more of a team sport when you're trying to develop these divisions or get a resurgence of, of fans investing in them. Uh, I think what it comes down to, I, I saw this uh, tweet or not tweet, but um, this post on Instagram and they had this thing with Mike Tyson and they were talking to him and he said, you know, what's the difference? And he said, back in my day, I was a killer. Today, these boys are all businessmen. And I think that's a very key point. There is a lot more money in it than there used to be back in the day. And I think, quite frankly, you're going to have your businessmen and women who are holding out for big fights. And then you're going to have your Frankie Edgars, you know, your um, Luke Rockholds or someone. They just choose to let the show go on and risk it because they just want to fight and they want to bring it. I think that's just a personal thing. You know, the manager is always going to tell you to wait for the bigger fight, but yeah, I but think that's, that's just what it being, is. That's being silly with business too, because if you don't have a division to fight in anymore because of lack of competition, 
then guess what? You don't have a title shot. Your division shut down because you guys weren't staying active. So there has to be a balance of that. Some people have to fight to continue the division to keep going. They can all sit around for a title shot. No, I agree. And I think 135, let's say like it is, they've been hemorrhaging for a while. I mean, look at uh, Raquel Pennington. I, I, I love Rocky. I've said it many times I love Rocky. It says a lot that she didn't fight in about a year and a half, and she was still the top contender in the division. Mm-hmm. I, I think um, that's a sign of the times at 135, if we're being honest. So huh, it's tough. And I'm glad, I'll say this to, before we move on I'm glad I don't have to worry about it. Because UFC, I'm sure, they're aware of what's going on, and it can't be easy. And one last thing that I think is important to note, too, is when you had people like a Ioana or a Ronda Rousey, who not only were dominant, but actively fighting competition, and I think the reason why they were actively fighting competition is everyone wanted to try and figure them out to be the one that beat them. And I think that having all those girls just be competitive and continue to train hard so they can be the one to dethrone the champ, that's kind of what 135 and 145 are missing. We just don't have enough people willing to either face the champ or or step up and fight each other to build that competition within the division. It's, uh, I, I agree completely. It's just, it's a tough thing. It's, and it's two different situations at 145 and 135, respectively. So, I don't know. Lucky Sean they're Shelby. making a show called Tough 28 to bring in more people. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Maybe that'll step up the, the number of fights for the future of those I'm, divisions. Let's say they really need it, if we're being honest. Um, moving on, uh, Bellator announces details for their welterweight Grand Prix. Um, Kayla, I think it, it sounds like they're doing it very well. So they want 10 participants. They're going to have two qualifying bouts and then they're going to have an eight man quarterfinal, just like we saw with the heavyweight tournament. The announced names are champion Rory McDonald, Michael Page, former champion Douglas Lima, former champion Andre Koreshkov, John Fitch, Ed Ruth, Lorenz Larkin, Naaman Gracie, Yaroslav Amosov. Um, notably, Paul Daly is in contract negotiations and could still possibly be added later on. But Kayla, McDonald's welterweight title will be on the line yeah. each time he fights so that essentially the winner of the tournament becomes the welterweight champion or is the welterweight champion. Kayla, what do you think about that move specifically? Instead of just like having the winner fight Rory or having a tournament belt aside from the welterweight belt, how do you feel about that decision to have Rory's belt on the line? Well, to me, this is a business move. Talk about someone who understands the bigger picture here. Rory willing to, you know sacrifice or not sacrifice but just you know chance the uh you know opportunity to lose his belt in a tournament he sees i have a staff division i'm gonna eventually fight all of these guys anyway but why not really build attention towards my division of having 
me participate and put my belt on the line in a tournament style, I mean, who's not going to tune into that? I think he's seen how well the heavyweight uh, Grand Prix has done. And I, I personally think that just you, you know, the names that they've included in this, the amount of competition and different styles that everyone's bringing in, like it's huge. So I don't know. That to me is someone that, yeah, is just making a smart business move and feels confident in his skills too, which we know he's, he's got them. So I don't know. I think that that was a, the big question that we saw at the Bellator event in Temecula is when they had announced the welterweight Grand Prix, we were wondering if the belt would be on the line. I, I think it, it, it just makes it even more intriguing knowing that, you know, we could see this belt kind of, be lost early in the competition and then it just adds more excitement to who could potentially be the new welterweight champion or if Rory McDonald is just that dominant and that good what do you think Jake? um same I, I do think there's a risk of round robin with the belt like let's say you know Rory loses in the first round and then the tournament winner just was killing it on the other side of the bracket and you're like, well, I would have loved to see him versus Rory and et cetera, et cetera. I think that's potentially an issue. But if I'm being honest, I'm kind of good with that problem if I'm Bellator. I, it means more fights after this is all exactly. over. Yeah. So I think that that's really just where I'm at. Um, I don't know as much if it was Rory's decision as Bellator. But if we're saying it like it is, when you leave UFC for Bellator, it's because there's this giant just boost in flexibility. Look at Michael Venom Page one month after fighting in Bellator and he's fighting boxing. Mm-hmm. This, these are the opportunities that are in Bellator that you're not going to get inside the octagon. I think that Rory is aware of it and he knew that there's the potential for this kind of stuff. When I sign with these guys, look, in what, four fights, he will have knocked off a top contender won the welterweight title, possibly fight for, you know, fight for the middleweight title, possibly win it, and then compete in a tournament? <laughs> I mean, you know, that's just crazy. And that's what you're getting. That's why he signed up for it rather than just stay a top five guy at welterweight. Mind you, he could be a contender for Woodley right now if he were in UFC. But these other opportunities and the freedom to get in them, that's why he signed. So I think that says a lot about, once again, like you said, the business. And I think it's a good move. I think it makes it more intriguing, in my opinion. I agree with you. Yeah, and I think that the majority of the guys included in this, um, you know, tournament don't plan on retiring anytime soon. So like you said, there's fights, you know, post this tournament that still can be made, that still that can be built up and have, you know, an even, even bigger um, – hype built around them after the tournament too so I think unlike the the heavyweight you know tournament where some of those guys might only have a collective you know couple of of um fights left these guys have more potential to have have longer careers so I agree I mean it's going to be fun and it starts on September 29th the first fight is former champion Lima against Koreshkov a trilogy um, Koreshkov won the first one by decision. Lima got him back a year later with a third round knockout. The and that was, man... those were for the belt. That was for the belt, right? Yep. At the time. Yep, both of them. Very so it's cool. Gonna be, 
Yep. So that one starts same night as McDonald versus Musasi, September 29th. That's going to be a lot of fun. Final story announced this morning. Nico Montano versus Valentina Shevchenko, official for UFC 228 on September 8th. Montano hasn't defended the title since winning it on tough, but she's kind of gone out to say that she's had to go through some medical stuff before she could be cleared to fight. Shevchenko, though, has been wanting it since she beat down Priscilla Cachojea in February. Kayla, the fight is finally happening and signed. What are your thoughts on the fight? Yes, well, we know that everyone wanted this fight. It's the one that makes the most sense for this division, the next step. Um, It was all a matter of waiting to see when we'd get it. I'm not mad that it took a little bit of time because I think both ladies are so skilled and I want to see them fight at their best just so we can really get, you know, a crazy good fight between both ladies. So I think because Nico was communicating and letting people know what was going on with her, um, you know, I think that respectfully let the champ rest up so she can really give us a good fight because Valentina is not someone that you want to fight, you know, uh, no more than a hundred percent if you can avoid that yeah uh, for me this kind of she was getting to the deadline but the fact that it's official now i'm like okay you know what i'm not going to talk about it anymore it's happening she's signed let's just get to fight night healthy in my opinion so i'm good with it i know there was a lot going on and um i mean look at max holloway right now things happen So I think that it's just nice that we're finally moving along because it's starting to get more interesting as we've finally seen more flyweight fights. So I'm good with it. Um, Valentina so much more experience, but that doesn't bother Nico Montano. I think stylistically, you know, let's say like it is, what has Nico learned in the last nine months? Does she have the game plan and can she execute it against a woman with as many weapons as Valentina? I think that's going to be the key. I think the ground game is going to play into it. If you're Valentina, though, you feel very confident right now because people are saying you're the uncrowned champion. I think it adds a bit of tension because they both feel like that belt is theirs. Mm -hmm. I, I like it. I'm ready for it, Kayla. And how much training has Nico really been able, like how much is she going to get to prepare for Valentina? I think Valentina's just kind of stayed um, ready. She hasn't had any injuries or any medical things hurting her. So um, that'll be interesting too. But Nico Montana is tough and um, very composed in there. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be good. That one obviously happening September 8th. Big month September for MMA, and I love it. Moving on, we do have a big UFC fight card coming up from Hamburg, Germany on Sunday. Special Sunday, Fox Sports 1. Main event, Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Anthony Smith. Kayla, people are saying Shogun could be the top contender with a victory. How do you feel about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, well, they were saying that he would fight DC, right? Yeah, possibly. But we've already found out that the DC announced uh, today or last night that his last fight is going to be Brock Lesnar. He's calling it his retirement fight. So I think that that idea is kind of thrown out the door now. But um, 
Yeah. Did he I make mean, that official? Yeah. I just, I read that oh. this morning. Dang. So we aren't going to see the John Jones trilogy. We're not going to see that. I don't know. I mean, this is what he's saying right now. Who knows if a John Jones tweet can <laughs> uh, change his mind, but um, I don't know. I don't, I don't really see Shogun fighting DC, but yes, I do think that a big win um, and the, and the run that he's on currently, I think that a big win over a guy, you know, in Anthony Smith, who's being built up and hyped up as the, as the new, um, you know, contender, I think that that could definitely put him in a nice position. What do you think, G? Um, to say bluntly, I feel like if DC were fighting Shogun, it's just so he could kind of stay busy. I didn't look. Shogun has kind of the the run he's been on. I just feel like DC is too big a jump in competition. I feel like competitively, he just wouldn't have had much to offer DC at mm. the end of the day. So that's why I wasn't very big on it. I understand his record is what it is right now. He is up there and he's been successful. He took out three guys. Anthony Smith is just a heavy hitter. Um, I do think if Shogun wins, you could talk about fighting the winner Gustafsson and Uzdemir possibly for a vacant title late this year, early next year. But I think that that's really what's on the line for Shogun is being that guy now. Um, can he get there? I don't think Anthony Smith is going to be right there with the victory, but that's just where we're at. I mean, what about you? Um, how do you see this fight going down? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's nice is because we know that DC plans on retiring. We want to see who these top five, top three guys really are in that division to go after that vacant title. Um, I I don't know. I think that Anthony Smith is on a nice run. I think that he has that size, um, uh, just being the the taller or just bigger fighter. I think that, um, and, and a lot of people have talked about, you know, each fight, he looks more and more hungry. He looks like he's been putting the work in the gym, just really working on his skill set. So I think that it's going to be a competitive fight. Um, I think that, of course, Shogun, yeah, is on a nice run and just has all the experience. But I don't know. I, I keep the last few times that we've seen this, this old versus new, I keep thinking, oh, the more experienced fighter, the guy that's been in those dangerous waters and has seen everything and able to figure, you know, or catch these young guys before they, they um, you know, uh, I guess yeah. catch, these, catch these old guys off or whatever. Um, or that they're the slower ones. I, I always pick against these young, hungry guys, and then I end up being wrong. So, um, yeah, I just think that I see potential in Anthony Smith, and I think that he is someone that prepares well for these fights. So I'm actually predicting him, I think, by decision is what my gut's telling me. Can I tell you something crazy? What? Anthony Smith is actually older than Shogun. That is pretty crazy. But when I'm talking about, like, age or experience, I'm not really talking about <laughs> their physical age. I'm talking more about age Miles. and me in the sport. Yeah, you know. But I, that is pretty crazy. Right. I read that <laughs> and I was like, you messing with me. 
that's that's that can't be correct um look i mean anthony smith just um he i like watching him he just goes out there and lets those big punches go he like a paulo costa he kind of throws with big power and he just goes out there to hurt you um he is taking this fight on a little bit shorter notice but I mean, Shogun's got that versatility. It, it's going to be tough. Um, if I'm being honest, though, I feel like Shogun, he's kind of, this has been his uh, pedigree. Takes his time. Hasn't had a, you know, a year off. You know, he's had his time. I feel like he knows how big this one is. And I feel like he's got the perfect recipe to set up one last big fight. I think that Anthony Smith is going to gas himself out early. I think Shogun is going to try to use some kicks in his movement to kind of tire him out. I actually think the longer the fight goes, the more it favors Shogun. I know, uh, respectfully, I'm going to go with our veteran to get it done one more time. I think that the late uh, preparation is going to affect Anthony. I'm going to go with Shogun by decision. All right. But we're both thinking it's going to go to decision, so we're both seeing a competitive fight. Yes, so that's going to be good. Um, in the co-main event, more light heavyweight action. Glover Tashira taking on another late replacement in Corey Anderson. Glover wants the fight. Well, he wanted a top contender fight. I'm going to just say bluntly, um, the loss to Gustafsson really set him back. Even if he knocks out Corey and Anthony were to stop Shogun, I don't put Glover in a rematch. If it's Vulcan Uzdemir, maybe, but I don't want to see a rematch with Gustafsson, so it's going to be difficult. But this one is very good. Corey, very just experienced wrestler, very tough guy. But I feel like Glover Tashira has more tools in the toolbox. I think that his power, plus when he gets on top of you, he's just so big and strong in that top position. He's a really tough guy to just get off of you. I favor Glover Tashira, especially considering this one's a three-rounder. Yeah, I agree with you. I think just the way that Gustafsson was able to pick him apart and, and you know, outclass him a bit, I think that I'd need to see him fight a couple, couple more times before we see that rematch. But um, I like that that's fueling the fire, that he wants to come back. And, again, he sees that there's opportunity um, – you know, with the belt and what's just currently going on with their division. I agree. I, you know, he, he does, he just has more um, skill set there and is dominant on the feet and on the ground. I think that, and he's talking about this fight wanting to be a brawl. I think both guys really want, they, you know, are appreciating this co-main slot. And I think that they both want to put on a show just to kind of stay relevant or at least show the UFC like, Hey, I'm still an exciting fighter, you know, keep me in mind to fight some of these top guys. So I think that this is going to be a fight where both men are, I don't want to say like fighting desperate, but just fighting to really make a point. Um, I think that Corey Anderson might try to take it to the ground, but like you said, if he, notices early on that Glover Texera is, is dominant there and, and game to uh, fight on the ground. He might get, um, you know, I guess just forced to keep it on the feet. And I don't think that's a good place for the fight to go either. Um, in Corey Anderson's case, especially late notice. Um, so yeah, I'm also favoring a win for Glover. 
Yeah, I think um, Corey's best bet is going to be to get Glover on his back. I feel like Glover isn't a guy who has that um, the offensive guard. And is going to, you know, I just think that's just going to be Corey's uh, answer if he's going to get the job done. Um, it's tough. Glover Teixeira on this kind of notice is not a guy, is not going to be an easy task. So, yeah, but I, I don't know. I think I'm feeling Glover decision. So we're right there. And you are going with Anthony Smith. I'm going to take Shogun Hua. Very big weekend. And just obviously next week, we're going to be talking about UFC Calgary. Kayla, just like that triple header, Dustin Poirier, Eddie Alvarez, Yanni Jacek, Tisha Torres, and Jose Aldo versus Jeremy Stevens. That one is just going to be crazy. Um, also, announcement fans, if you are out at the Morongo Resort and Hotel, you can see me. I will be reporting live at LFA 45. It's going to be a big one, a ton of fun. So, fans, you can look out for me there. Kayla, there's a lot of action coming up. Where can the fans find you on social media? Fans can find me at fangirl underscore MMA. Where can they find you? Fans, you can find me all the time at Double G on TV. Just spell out the word double, and we will see you guys next week.